You've found the podcast where driving matters. Whether you haul, commute, or cruise, we want you to love what you drive. We're here to help you find usability and fun. From first-time buyers to jaded experts, we believe everyone is one great car away from being car-obsessed. I'm Paul. I'm Todd. And this is the Everyday Driver Car Debate. Hey, hey, we're back. That sounds normal. We're back it does in the sound studio. normal. It, it's yeah. been a while. It was very strange because Paul and I just finished our East Coast trip, the second of our Four Points trips. Many of you we met at either the meetup on on Friday night or Radwood on Saturday. But then we thought we had it all handled. Mm. We were coming back. We were flying back. They were going to ship the cars oh. back. Everything was handled. Oh, right. And my wife asked me the night before we flew back, how are you getting home from the airport? And I had nothing. <laughs> What the slightest last detail we didn't know. Because <laughs> we normally oh, drive yeah. to the airport and we come back and there's a car there. We drove to the other side of the country, flew back, there was no car there. But it got solved. It was good. Yeah, home, we did. We have a, we're at the studio, which is great. It's nice to be back. But we had so much fun meeting all of you. Mm-hmm. We, we met so many people at our meetup on Friday night, just before the Radwood show and then the show itself. We were want, walking around and it was nice for people to say things. So thank you guys. Yeah, Whoever really cool. said... Hello, you ran into us, you recognized us and said mm-hmm. something. We really appreciate it. It's, uh, it's cool to get the encouragement and uh, just know that we're impacting people's lives. And to connect people the to this podcast and connect yeah. people to the YouTube videos. Because, of course, we see numbers, but we don't really know, you know who are these people and what is their opinion and that kind of stuff. So to see people in person and to shake your hand and take some selfies with you and that kind of stuff, it was just fun. Yeah. We uh, were hung out with a friend of the show in D.C. So once we got done in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. we visited him. Yep. And just took a day to actually do some things in D.C., which is yep. great. You probably saw our photo of the Lincoln Memorial. That was actually taken at night when it was raining. Yeah. And it looks like daytime. Yeah. But we were there at night, and it was cool because there weren't the crowds of people there. And it was cool to just see some of the memorials. I hadn't been to D.C. since I was 15 years old. Wow. And it had been, yeah, a, a little while. And it was nice to be back and see some things and just enjoy. And we talked about things other than cars. It was <laughs> <laughs> we had done it. It, it was a lot of cars for a, for a full week. We were we were in the cars funny. for five days. We we rolled in two hours before the meetup in Westchester, and we barely had time to roll the cars into the wash bay. And interestingly enough, I looked down because I'd, I'd set my trip counter at zero when we left, and I'd been saying twenty four hundred miles, twenty four hundred miles mm-hmm. forever, mm-hmm. just kind of rounding up for camera and be like, it's going to be around twenty four hundred. It might be more. I don't know. When I rolled into the wash bay. Mm-hmm. It rolled over 2,400 exactly when I rolled into the wash bay. That was total just serendipity randomness. That was really cool. There's there's so much to share from the trip that I don't want to share because right. it's on right. video. But I thought I would share two things real quick. Josh Schillenberg asked, best dinners, worst road conditions, friendliest people. Friendliest people is a, is a low-hanging fruit. It was meeting all of you guys. was awesome. Yeah, it really was. But yeah. worst road conditions was the recurring seam that we kept encountering every few hundred miles beginning in yeah. Ohio. Yeah. And it just it, it was Ohio all the way to the East Coast, but it was like every every couple hundred miles we'd have a big section that it was just road seam road seam road seam road seam. It was like over a and over and over again. Something. Yeah. And so that that was unfun, but best dinner I actually think was the barbecue place in Indianapolis. I loved that meal. Did you really? I loved it. And I, the reason I think that I, I'm going to call it best dinner, because we ate, we ate okay. We ate terribly during the day because we had to keep moving. But at <laughs> night, we had nice dinners. Yeah. But, but I, the reason I think that was the best dinner is because that was the first time that I looked down at my plate and was like, oh, I'm, I'm, I, it's gone? 
Oh, bummer. <laughs> oh, what? I guess I'm done. Yeah, that was awesome. I think the day or two before we got to actually Westchester, I just knew that the cars were going to run. I just mm-hmm. knew they were going to take us the distance and go all the way. And it, I just thought, all right, we're, we're going to make it. We're going to do this. Yeah. Because the first couple of days, I just thought, rolling the dice here. We're, mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I, th- I think it'll be all, all okay. And then the trip itself wasn't that hot. I didn't have air conditioning, as many of you know. Yeah, but yeah. The days were cool. You know, when you wake up, your car's still cool and it's running good till lunch. Sure, yeah. And then, you know, it gets a little hotter in the afternoons. But other than that, it, it wasn't just blazing until the day of Radwood the show. <laughs> it like and it was blazing 90s, hot. Yeah. Like low 90s or something. And it was just nuts. But, but yeah, I had a great time at the ch- show. And mm-hmm. then uh, CNDC again was very memorable. It was very nice. And it was just like I remembered. But, you know, I, I've got new eyes as an adult. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, it was just nice to see all the memorials. And, and if you haven't been to D.C., everybody should see it. It's see crazy. everything. It really is do crazy. as much as you can. We didn't we, do nearly enough. Yeah, we did the Air and Space Museum, the Smithsonian out by Dulles Airport. The big hangars, yeah. And just talked planes. And mm-hmm. it was so great. It was so refreshing. <laughs> it was hours of just plane talk, yeah. Uh-huh. Man, I, the Enola Gay is there. Yeah, yeah. And it was just amazing to see that actual aircraft. Yeah. And, Talk about that. And what else we do? The American History Museum, where there were cars in there. Mm-hmm. And it actually got me thinking, uh, we'll, we'll touch on this a little bit later for some questions, but uh, it, it was those two museums were really excellent just to walk around and enjoy stuff and, and uh, be reminded about transportation routes. It was cool. Yeah, it, was, it was a great time. Thank you to all of you again that came out for the meetup and also were there for Radwood. And I want to remind you again, because many of you have asked me in the last week, Yes, we have a Patreon. You can go to our website, everydaydriver.com. You can go there through our sponsors page. You can also There's also just a, a tab right there on the homepage to become a patron. The benefit to you guys on that, it's a huge benefit to us, but the benefit to you guys is our Discord, which I've had so many conversations in the last week or so, you guys talking about how much you like Discord. And not because mm-hmm. Paul and I just yeah. are parked on the Discord. We're on there every now and then. Right, but there's right. a huge community. There's friendships that have been made. There's meetups that have happened. There's a lot of great commentary coming out of the Discord about how much you guys that are on it enjoy it. And every patron is on there, which is really cool. And many of you talked about it on the meetup Friday night as well. So thank you for reminding us again how much you like it, which is really cool. We've got a great topic Tuesday for you coming in here from somebody named Pete, and we named him that because he wishes to remain anonymous Mm -hmm. after coming up with a couple of what he calls hot questions, some controversial questions that he wanted to cover, and he says it's more of an academic take on the future of driving. And we've also got a debate, which could be a topic Tuesday, from Brian C. in Virginia Beach, Virginia. I thought it was rather appropriate since we were just there, and when I visited D.C. for the first time as a kid... My family and I visited Virginia Beach, so that's when okay. I, I visited, cool. so it, uh, it all ties in. So we'll get to that in just a bit, but the debate is from Pete. Pete has some ideas in his head he would like mm-hmm. to discuss. Quite, quite an interesting he, pair he, of topics here, yeah. He brought these to us because he wanted to account for different lifestyles and situations and geographic locations. He says, in a constructive way that hopefully we can all appreciate and respect the conversations. Absolutely, we can. But Pete's hot take number one is that car enthusiasts should actively support non-car infrastructure and possibly even use it as it will also benefit benefit us. Mm -hmm. Okay. He says, allow me to explain. He takes a lot of his inspiration and ideas from an urban planner YouTuber named Not Just Bikes. He says, watch some of his videos, particularly the Strongtown series. His claims are sometimes anecdotal, sometimes backed by data. 
And he, he will probably share those ideas in a more eloquent, eloquent way. But the basic premise is that car-centric infrastructure is not good for society's health, finances, and use of time. He gives examples like L.A., Houston, Dallas-Fort Worth. Those are essentially planned around the car. Absolutely, they, they are. Completely. I mean, I grew up in Houston, and I, my wife's from Dallas. I mean, he calls him out. And then I lived in L.A. for 14 years, and you lived there longer, Paul. Yeah. Those are three while. cities that absolutely, if you do not have a car, your life is harder, significantly mm-hmm. harder. And in the same time I lived in L.A., my sister lived in Manhattan. And right, a right. couple of years in, she realized that she'd let her license lapse. And she was like, she realized okay. one day. Yeah. Yeah. She's like, well, okay. because it was one of those things where I want to go to upstate this weekend. Oh, I can't drive anymore. Was, was the, literally the conversation we had. And, and I'm sitting there scratching my head going, how does that happen to a person? Well, look at how her life was. She was living in Manhattan. Okay. So she never had any reason to use a car until this random vacation opportunity. And that was her opportunity. Whereas in LA, every single day it was necessary. Yeah. Yeah, I got to thinking about this, Pete, because of our time in in the American History Museum, looking at trains, looking at mm-hmm. transportation throughout the country, yeah, throughout yeah. the U.S. It was very interesting, and, and your email here struck a chord with me. Well, Pete says, because they're planned around the car, they're noisy, unsafe, impossible to walk or bike to places you need to go, and public transit, transit is only for the poor who can't afford a car and is generally considered icky. <laughs> okay. Well, but let's let's stay on Manhattan real quick. Manhattan, you don't necessarily think of taking the subway as going to be a luxurious experience, but everybody does it. People are doing it with their with their suitcases coming from the airport. True. People are doing True. it dressed to the nines, going to dinner. People are doing it passed out, half drunk. All of the above is happening on the same car, mm-hmm. and because it's just life, people just do it in New York. It's just let's just take the subway. Why don't we do that? Pete says, contrast this with, with images of Amsterdam, parts of London, where you can ride your bike safely without a helmet to the grocery store, doctor's office, and work. Please wear a helmet. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. By the way, there, there's Lyme and Bird scooters everywhere, just like there are in, in uh-huh. Salt Lake City. But we saw a plethora of all these scooters. Everybody just hops on, no helmet, just cruising yeah. around. And then, you know, when you get on a bike, ooh, you got to have a helmet. Same thing with skiing. When you see somebody skiing without a helmet, you're like, man, you're brave. Yeah. Kids walk themselves or ride their bikes to school. They experience personal responsibility, and the school run isn't a thing anymore. Mm-hmm. For longer trips, trains and trams run on schedule, which are clean and safe and efficient. And there's a lot that goes into it. Into this, he acknowledges, but essentially they have deprioritized the car and instead prioritized trains, walking, and bicycles. If you look at the way people who choose to drive in the Netherlands, it's a lot less stressful because bicycles are separated. You aren't constantly worried about hitting someone in a painted bike lane. And because lots of people are taking the other transit, the traffic flows a lot more smoothly and doesn't really back up. I think caravans change that, though, don't they? (laughs) Yeah, I haven't really experienced traffic in the Netherlands. I have other ways elsewhere. But he says, Pete says he doesn't think most people are car people like us car people listening. I think that's true. I, I agree. Most people aren't really bike people or train people, even though we all have our groups. Many people just want to get from A to B cheaply, safely, and conveniently. And he thinks giving people the other options will reduce traffic on the roads and get the non-car people off of them. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, I mean, he's – look, Pete, I, I don't think what you're suggesting here is really very controversial. What we need is the transport system. You walk through this door, and you wind up somewhere else. Then we'd all be solved. But, but ultimately, where he's going is 
you know, all of our roads, we, we talk about it all the time on here. With, with the sea of five-seat SUVs, it's all manufacturers want to send us. Mm-hmm. We talk about all the safety systems that, that I honestly think, and you and I have talked about it as well and agreed, that in many ways those safety systems are making scared drivers more scared. I agree the, the intention that. The yeah. intentions are great for the system, mm-hmm. but they're making drivers more scared. What if the roads weren't a sea of these five-seat CUVs? What if the road was less awful drivers or people that have to be there, he says, and more just those of us that want to be there. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. It comes back to the lane just for, you know, high speed. And, yes, the and, graduated license thing we've talked about. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, we could revisit that a little bit. Pete says $100 Uber is still much cheaper than the aftermath of any DUI or accident where you hurt someone. Sure. Certainly. Imagine this road network of real drivers, people who choose to take their cars out instead of the countless idiots who are forced to. (laughs) Okay. And we might be thinking this won't work where I live because I live in the suburbs or I live somewhere else and it's too far to walk or bike anywhere safely. You're probably right. This is why we need to change zoning codes to allow what urban planners call the missing middle. Think medium-sized apartments, townhomes, and row homes that take up less space than single-family homes but aren't towering apartments in the sky. See, now we've gone on to a whole other level of urban planning than just let's not plan around the car. Now we're rethinking it much further. But all right. I mean, Pete, we've talked about architects and designing single-family homes without garages in the future because Mm -hmm. five years ago, all anybody could talk about was driverless cars. And they're here Mm -hmm. and they're upon us and it's going to change the way we work and everything is changed. And they're still not prevalent. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's... That was five years ago. That was 2017. That's all Silicon Valley could talk about. Well, Pete says, you might also be thinking that I live in rural America or Canada, and this won't work. Pete thinks city centers could still be made more walkable once you get there and then would actually be a destination, like Fredericksburg, Texas. We've been there. We've been there. We parked our our Texas meetup there. We, we went about three blocks worth of cars parked on a back road and walked into downtown Fredericksburg. Don't think downtown Fredericksburg is some big metropolis. It's just a tourist trap. We got ice cream. It was great. It was a really good meetup. But the point you're making here is that, okay, yes, rural areas, suburbs might not work, but what you're also circling around is the possibility that a city center could be made to work this way. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. I'll come back to, to Manhattan. Manhattan has plenty of car traffic. And I'm sure somebody has the stat, but, it is a, but I know that it is a small percentage of total people moving through Manhattan are in a car. The vast majority yeah. are not in yeah. a car. Between the sidewalks and the subways, that's how you're getting places. The ultimate sentence here that Pete says is the last one. He thinks the irony is that the more we support non-car travel the better driving will get for us enthusiasts with other people off the road, even if we are mildly inconvenienced. Mm-hmm. We talk about cars as the freedom of mobility, but if there aren't other practical ways to get around, is that really freedom? I'm intrigued by this, Pete, and I, I'm glad you're thinking about it, but going through the American History Museum, you see people eager for tech. People are very yeah, interested. Yeah, yeah. There were food exhibits. There was technology. There was advertising. Mm-hmm. There was all kinds of stuff. And it was great. Of course, very well curated. It was a Smithsonian. I thought about your comment just earlier about getting around. And because in America, in North America, I'll say there's so much space. Yeah. Yeah. And cities, of course, they didn't start out generally speaking built around the car. They adopted it. 
Yeah, yeah. The sprawl later then came, and yeah, you can feel this on the 110 freeway in Los Angeles. Sure, yes, you can. The first freeway in America is the 110 freeway. It goes from Pasadena all the way down south. It winds its way through downtown and then Mm -hmm. goes straight south. And that freeway, the on-ramps and off-ramps are so short, you can instantly tell they were built for slow-moving 1940s and 1950s cars that didn't have good performance and weren't traveling all that quickly on that highway. And now if you want to get on or get off that freeway, you have to be on your A game constantly. Mm -hmm. You will get rear-ended. You will be mowed down by a truck if you are not on it because the the getting on and getting off is so short. The on-ramps are like a right turn off of a driveway. It's it's well, off of fast moving freeway and it, unlike anything else, the speed you've done. limit is sixty five to seventy somewhere in there. <laughs> Nobody does that. <laughs> People are going eighty to ninety. Yes, absolutely. And uh-huh. modern cars can do this. Uh-huh. So the tech has moved along to be able to accommodate this old infrastructure mm-hmm. rather than starting out because product planners, city planners, early on they didn't see that coming. They didn't see the advent of excellent good tires. Most modern car tires can outperform anything from 20 or 30 years ago. And I'm talking about just regular passenger car tires. I went and bought all seasons. Look at how good they are. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You can turn a a Toyota Camry off the showroom floor, will outhandle and outaccelerate many cars Mm -hmm. and scare some of the 30-year-old supercars. Absolutely, yeah. The zero to 60 acceleration is better. Mm -hmm. Braking is better. You can corner better. Autocross your Camry. Surprise yourself. It's unbelievable. And I think technology will continue to move in that direction. But as far as Europe is concerned, I've been in Tokyo. Yeah, you just jump on the subway for everything. Mm -hmm. And I've been in Toronto. I've used the subway in a lot of American cities. And it's very convenient. But ultimately, I don't think it's about being rich or poor. I think it's about people wanting their own bubble of space. The Mm -hmm. idea of your space that takes you when you want from your location to wherever you're going at your disposal is so highly coveted yeah that's what luxury is doesn't matter what you do yeah, it in. that's that's where the, the the cost strata comes in because this is something that on some level we're all striving to have your own space i mean the extreme version that most of us are not privy to but let's be honest the extreme version is i fly by private jet exactly it's that's the escalation of the concept but just having this is my area that t- this is my little pod that takes me to the things only i need to do have you ever taken one of those shared shuttles to the to the airport? You know those? They <laughs> work. To. They work. I've done it too. For a long they, time. They had them, the super shuttle in LA, they had them forever. And I, I wonder how much they've been killed by Uber. They were. Those because, companies are out of business. Because that was the, the, the difference is you could get, a, okay, I got a pile on a van with a bunch of people and we'll get to the airport early and that's going to be fine. Or I could just call an Uber and now it's a car by myself. Mm-hmm. It's your space. That is the thing that keeps us coming back to, I would like my own commute device. And this was impacted by COVID. Yes, absolutely. Everybody started thinking about what's my own space. That is definitely a thing that I feel like across all strata, people are interested in that. Whether they can do it or not is separate. That's why your sentence about us supporting non-car travel, everybody likes this idea, whether you're into cars or not. Everybody loves this idea of personal capsule with just your stuff mm-hmm. and you don't have to move your stuff and it just takes you and your crew to wherever you want to yeah, go. Yeah, yeah. 
that's the idea that non-car enthusiasts are in love with too. That's true. That's but true. because America has such wide open spaces and we just drove through them. Yeah. It was amazing <laughs> it was to see. Unbelievable. Yeah. We want bigger, faster, more luxurious, more powerful cars to do to cover that space quickly. Mm-hmm. Well, then when you get to a city, it's going to turn into the parking structure that's currently being built by LAX. Yeah. Many of yeah. you who live there have seen this thing. They have torn down a city block to do it's it. A whole neighborhood is more than a block. It's a, a whole a neighborhood, neighborhood. Excuse yeah. me. You're right. But it is, I believe, once finished, the world's largest parking structure. I believe I read 18,000 car parking spaces. So imagine something like that parked at each city. Wow. You drive your car to this outlying parking structure, or many of them, and then from there, you have to get on into the city. Public transit from there. Scooter, yeah. tram, you walk, yeah, yeah, yeah. you rent a bike, and then once... You're further and further away from your personal mode of transport. Yeah, yeah. I want to go to my destination right in the city. I want to go to the concert in the city and uh-huh. drive my car and park right next to I want rock star parking mm-hmm. right there. You know, you made me just think of what happens in Silicon Valley. You've talked about this before. Everybody wants, what is it, Innovation Way? Everybody wants their address. Innovation Drive. There you go. Yes. Everybody wants their address in the same place that shows I'm part of. Now, granted, I realize post-COVID, we are, more people are staying home and working from home, but but the truth has been forever that Silicon Valley is you all want to be in the same place so we can all show off as big tech companies. And we've laughed before because since all of these tech people are all getting off at the same exit and sitting in the same traffic to get to the same jobs on the same block, mm-hmm. that is an easy, easy reality to come to. You know what would be nice if my car drove itself doing this? But what I find hysterical is that nobody in we are thinking about cutting edge things thought, you know what we should do? Fix public transit. <laughs> it wasn't that. It was just fix my personal pod to make yeah. that less stressful, yeah. not find a way that all of us could get here efficiently because the we're headed toward an EV discussion here as well that was brought up to us by Pete. But the big thing I think is funny is that the truth you've tapped into here, Pete, and it's absolutely true, is the way to solve city congestion is public transit. Yes. But as a by and large reality, we as people don't want to take public transit. Like and, I said, it's not rich uh, or poor. Yes. It's your personal bubble. It's your personal mm-hmm. space. You would like to have that. And yes, if that, if public transit was wide-reaching, if everybody treated the U.S. cities like, like Manhattan, then I do think we would have lots of people like my sister who just don't drive at all. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. hopefully that would free up the roads and we would enjoy the roads more. But there, there isn't a push for public transit. Forget car people for a second. There's just not a push for public transit. Yes, and a second part of this before we get to the EV question is that people judge you. They certainly do, but they also want to aspire to something like a luxurious car. When people who are not into cars get into a nice car, you can't tell me they don't want it. Mm. They absolutely want it and aspire to it. Even if they're just sitting in the back and being driven. Correct. You're right. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Wow, the leather and the stereo and look at the lights and the tech and this button does what? Yeah, you're right. You're right. That's what they want. Uh-huh. It's, there's so much emotion involved and it's tough to separate out just city planning because car development went so quickly from horse and buggy to this mechanical device and then cities... Many of them were laid out in a grid, but most weren't. But also, 
topologically speaking, you can't lay out most cities on the planet in a grid Mm. to make it car friendly. And then you take into account all the properties that were owned over the generations. That's why roads do what they do because city planners didn't have permission to build on that person's land. So they went around and, Think, why does this road do this? And then that piece of land why got chopped up. And, and 50 years later, you're like, why does this road? Yeah, I hear you. It, there wasn't any way from the beginning. If you, know, if you start way back in, you know, we'll say just after the Civil War. Okay, we know the car's coming. <laughs> I'm getting some hints here. Guys, let's just I'm think being grid. forward thinking. Yeah, <laughs> just that's very funny. Grid it all. No, because of people's land, because mm-hmm. of all that ownership and properties passed down from one to another. There's still farmhouses in Park City. Where the freeway rent around because it was owned by yeah. patriarchs of Park City. Yeah, you're right. You see the freeway, an interstate that goes around an old farmhouse, and you think, does somebody live there? Doesn't matter. They own the property. Mm-hmm. You're right. And That's the freeway so goes around it. And, and, and it's no not, a, it's not like curve. it's a nice house. It's just it's a rundown historic place, and we, we went to yes. the interstate around. I know exactly what you mean. That's really And then, funny. of course, topological features like forests yeah. and rivers yeah. and all that stuff. So, yeah, we've got this crazy mishmash of stuff so there the infrastructure needs to keep up with what cars can do like that uh freeway 110 in pasadena that i was telling you about it's if you're not on it and so people slow down and that's what causes traffic because it was designed for old 1950s cars and you couldn't go fast yeah now cars can and so the people that want to drive it suddenly it's a fun freeway it's a it's it's almost a mountain road in the, in the style of it. It is so yes. twisty, and yet it is freeway speeds, which is nuts. All of this is, is leading us toward Pete's second hot topic here. He says his second one is that electric cars will not save us. They will not solve the big issues related to car-centric city planning. Now, obviously, we're building on the, the idea of your first your first thought here, and that is wouldn't public transit be better in city centers? And I think we're all in agreement. Yes, it would be. But we're talking about winding back the clock. I remember there was a discussion. I'm going to get a little bit wrong. There was a discussion in New York when they were having problems with there were so many people in New York, they were having a horse manure problem. And that was one of the catalysts that Uh created we should dig under the streets and build a subway. And at the time, there were plenty of people who were like, why are you digging up the streets? This is a stupid idea. But that was them trying to be forward thinking. And now look at what the subway is. It's the only (laughs) really good subway system in the U.S. I mean, like great one that is used by the masses. So will the, the EV will not save us. Now, there's a lot of things you touch on here. But the big thing that I think is interesting is if you have you swap all of the cars, and this is the thing you say here, that if you swap all of the current gas cars for current EV cars, you haven't actually eliminated traffic. Right. You haven't solved congestion. You haven't done anything about people commuting. You have stopped tailpipe emissions, mm-hmm. which is great. Right. right. But... You still have plenty of noise when you're driving. You brought up that point. You still have tire noise, wind noise, these kind of things when you're driving. You're right. So it's not like it's a silent world. Now, it is It is a, a – how do I put this? It's a, it's a less taxing world to drive an electric car. There's less vibration. There's less constant hum because you don't have that engine. And so it is a situation where I do believe you will get to your commute feeling a little less stressed but not because of lack of traffic. There'll be every bit as much traffic. Mm -hmm. But now we have, and we've touched on this before, the massive infrastructure problem of charging, which I don't think any of us, even though you and I have talked about before, I don't think any of us grasp 
how unbelievably behind the system is to charge these cars. Right. Less than 5% of cars right now are electric, and you already are seeing photos of people in lines, people having tense discussions, let's say, about you've been parked here too long, I need to charge too, and then you have... So what if you're three people back at the gas station? You're what? 10 minutes? Mm-hmm. If you're three people back at the EV charging station, you could be hours. Go have dinner. You could be, but you could be hours yeah. before you get it plugged in. So we have to, but but there are already lines in places like L.A. and San Francisco for charging infrastructure. And I'm talking about Tesla, who does it best. They have lines too. Mm-hmm. So the infrastructure yeah. is massively behind. Let alone the other issues that Pete brings up. I'm fascinated by this, Pete, because the cities are technology on top of technology on top of technology. Mm-hmm whatever that looks like from building construction, building materials alone to how a building is designed and constructed. Yeah. And think of cities as not just greenfield projects. They're brownfield projects too. That old building gets torn down. That's rezoned. That mm-hmm. big swath of land a building used to occupy, well, that's a piece of land, a fresh, new, open piece of land sure, in the sure. middle of the city. What are we going to do with it? That's where those city planners come in. Yeah, yeah. And what is the infrastructure underneath it at that mm-hmm. point? Are we just going to build another building on that piece of land and then re-landscape around it? Or does that become some of the townhomes like you're talking about mm-hmm. and some mixed-use retail and a road <laughs> cuts right through the middle of it? Yeah. That's, that will constantly being, be put over the top of each other, just like cars have gone so quickly. That's what cities are today. Yeah. So if, if we really wanted to do it right – we should have gone back to the 1860s again, just after the Civil War. Post Civil War, and asked people to wind huge copper cables together and lay them in the ground for a couple centuries from now, and lay them out in a grid pattern. Very great, and they're not going to be connected to anything for about 150 years. <laughs> they're just going to lay dormant Trust until us. we it's get to be great. Yeah. the utopia that we want. So all the electric cars will have a place to go, and oh, we'll have in pavement charging and it'll always be there no it's just technology on top of tech and getting down to the infrastructure replacing old aging technology it's just on top of each other constantly one over the top of another well this is archaeologists for forever they go back thousands of years and they find in you know the the birthplace of the world over in the middle east they find you know four or five or six or a thousand years worth of Oh, well, it was this city, and then it was this city, and then it was this city. This is still happening in the modern time, to your point. But the other thing I want to bring up is all of us listening, bringing it completely to to modern day, all of you listening, all of us, think of your personal closest downtown area. Now think of some weird traffic-disrupting infrastructure project they are currently working on. I don't know what that project is, but I bet you that I am 90% right when I say this. What they're doing is fixing a current problem. Right. They're not building for 20 years from now. They are fixing the old sewer line, or this has got this needs to have Wi-Fi and nobody has Wi-Fi right here, or why on earth is this, this pavement so completely broken? It's because we've got to rip it all out. We've got to start again and put down new base. They are fixing a current issue that's been an issue probably for a while, and yeah. it's just now at the top of the pile. So what we're talking about here is is building for the future on cities that are currently just trying to update themselves for problems right now. I see this manifesting in itself in cars, Pete, by virtue of the product offerings and the way cars will develop. Because 
we can't change the cities. The cities that exist, they are what they are at this point. They, parts of them will be torn down, rebuilt. Mm-hmm. Things will look different. The elevated freeways in San Francisco no longer exist. Mm. The ones that collapsed in the earthquake in the 80s. Yeah, yeah. Those were there. They don't exist anymore. Sure, good point. Things will constantly go up and come down. Mm. But mm. cars are the constant because of what we said, the personal bubble, that personal space. So they will adapt and will constantly, as enthusiasts, continue to seek out the good driving roads and the good driving activities that we love with our enthusiast cars that I believe car manufacturers will still build because there's money to be made there. Yeah, yeah, hopefully. When we're going into the cities, when we're parking, I'm horrified by the thought of gigantic neighborhood-sized parking structures in every city where you park, and that's as far as you can go with your car. And then choose your it's interesting choose you your transportation, it and it's going to be based on the weather, I guarantee you, at that yeah, point. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. If it's lovely and sunny, great, you have options. If it's not, when you're it, taking the train. When it rains at night, you know, I've done this, when it rains at night in Manhattan, <laughs> everybody suddenly really likes the cab. Man. I need a cab. <laughs> totally. Or, or we're crammed even tighter into the subway because we're not walking home. I mean, you may have mm-hmm. to, and you, and you probably have. But I remember that because a few times I visited there, visited my sister, et cetera. It was amazing. When the skies opened, everybody's transit needs changed. That's a great mm-hmm. point. But, but I, I think it's interesting you're bringing up that L.A. parking monstrosity. You're right. It, it wasn't a block. It was It's a neighborhood. Many they bought out a blocks. neighborhood, and they have swapped a neighborhood yeah. next to the 405 for a parking structure. This is all in, in anticipation of the Olympic Games. Yeah, the 2028 LA in, Olympic in Games. In LA. Yep. Yep. It's been a multi-year construction project, and I believe I read that this will be the world's biggest parking garage. I'm pretty sure you're right. But Unreal. what I wonder is the other cities in the U.S. and around the world that are going to watch this infrastructure project mm-hmm. happen in LA and move people, how well is it going to work, and are they having similar thoughts? And does this, to go to, to connect the dots here, does this create a situation where that is now the charging parking structure, <laughs> where every yeah. single spot in this 18,000 space thing has a plug, <laughs> and if you, if you park there, you can plug in there, or half of them plugs or whatever. What's the, what's the power need for that? <laughs> I don't remember there being a smallish nuclear power station over in that. Huh. <laughs> What's that humming noise? That wasn't on the beach last decade when I visited. I'm fascinated by this. But <laughs> Next to the parking structure, the world's largest parking structure, we have the world's largest generator. But ultimately, Pete, you want to be able to drive. But I'll leave you with some thoughts. Do you? Let's say the non-car enthusiast. I mean, who are we as car enthusiasts to take away the time from non-car enthusiasts? Who are mm. we to do that? Mm. We can't. We shouldn't. No. Because... Th- People of people everywhere mm-hmm. deserve that same amount of time because if they're not in cars, they have to leave earlier to catch the train and build more time into their schedule to make their flight to get to the destination, and so that just costs them more time. Whereas all the people in the cars, we we get to you know leave five minutes before the event starts mm-hmm. and get there immediately and park right up front. You're talking and, LA motorcycle thinking. You leave an hour out, I'll leave 20 <laughs> minutes out. Yeah. The ultimate thought I want to leave you with though is do you want to do your enthusiast driving in the cities? No. Yeah. If if it's cleared out and it's only for car enthusiasts, is that the solve? That's not the place we want to be anyway yeah. with our cars. I don't want to 
hey, it's cleared out. There's no traffic in the middle of the day. We get to go do some real driving in a city block. <laughs> cares? What I, what I want to encourage more than anything, Pete, is the road trip. Yes. The roads we just discovered, and we're going to talk about it at length, but the roads we just discovered going east was fantastic. And I think we did almost the entire state of Nebraska. We did. We did the entire state of Nebraska and never went through a major city of any kind. Top gear, foot down. It was amazing <laughs> yeah. how few people and infrastructure and anything we saw. And none of, okay, I, I, I realize I'm being bold here, but I, none of northern Nebraska is going EV or rethink the car anytime soon. Agreed. Northern Nebraska <laughs> is fine with the pickup and gasoline, and we need to drive. <laughs> I want to remind you guys of DriveShare from our friends at Haggerty. DriveShare is a car-sharing community that connects renters with the owners of cool cars. We're talking vehicles that elevate any occasion like a wedding or a special celebration or even a vacation. Or you can just enjoy a dream ride, a car you've always wanted to drive. That's why I put my Lotus Elise on DriveShare, and many people have loved driving it. List your car to earn some extra money knowing you're covered by exceptional insurance and roadside service. Owners and renters can both rest easy and enjoy the ride. Visit driveshare.com or download the app to rent or list a ride today. Brian C. in Virginia Beach, Virginia has a Shelby Mustang debate. He is a Navy helicopter pilot stationed there and has a love for performance cars and the driving experience they provide. He's owned an E92 328i, an 07 Mustang GT, a 2012 Mustang GT, a 2017 Dodge Charger SRT 392, and most recently, a 2017 Ford Shelby GT350. There's some cool cars in there, but there's also quite common threads. <laughs> there are. Yeah. He and his wife had their first son last May and quickly realized that they and their two dogs take up a lot of space on road trips. <laughs> she has a Toyota Highlander, but they needed more space for their stuff and their pets. So with tears in his eyes, he sold that beloved GT350 and bought an F-150 King Ranch. Why get an F-150 when you can get the King Ranch? Let's get it all. I agree. Let's just pile it on with the extra badges and lots of leather. He says it's a great truck, but he misses his Mustang dearly, and he's in the position to now have a third fun toy, and the MOF has somewhat reluctantly approved. Okay. So here's the situation. He's shopping the following three vehicles and trying to decide. A 2012 or 2013 Boss 302. The 11 to 14 GT500. He really wants the 13 to 14 because of 662 horsepower or the pinnacle of Mustangs, the GT350. Mm -hmm. He wants to get another one because mm -hmm. it was, he says, probably the best driver's car he's ever driven. And that includes E30 M3s, E46 M3s, his old Mustangs, and a first-generation Dodge Viper that he's had the privilege to drive. Well, you know, I've always heard those kind of drove truck-like. But, you know, not offending Dodge Viper owners everywhere. He's also looking at other options like the Boss 302 from 2012-2013 because mm -hmm. of their rarity, less than 10,000 ever made, and that interesting Roadrunner V8, and he's considering that GT500 too. He drove one and found himself laughing hysterically every time he heard the supercharger whine and felt that instant torque and the tire squeal. He leans heavily, though, towards the GT350 because of the voodoo engine and the insanely good balance and feel. Mm-hmm. And most of all, the sentimental value that it has to him because they brought their son home from the hospital in the Shelby. I see it. It tugs his heartstrings and appeals to all his senses but needs our help. Is he overlooking any other options? Yes. Should he be considering <laughs> the GT? <laughs> Wait, are you, are you hmm, yes. foreshadowing? But that's Onward. okay. Yeah, that's yeah, okay. okay. Here we go. Should he be considering the GT500 more or is he letting his emotions get the best of him? 
let your emotions get the best of you. Sure. That's what car ownership is about. That's yeah. why we're yeah, sitting yeah. here and podcasting. Let your emotions go. And I love that you brought your son home from that, from the hospital in that car. Mm-hmm. And clearly you're not over it. You're not done with it. Yeah. You had to make a, a sacrifice and you did, but now you can have both again. If that is the car, the pinnacle driver's car, I say, go get another one. It might be the last car. It might be the cul-de-sac car for you. It might be. Yeah, we talked about that in the last podcast. I mean, it's clear that the GT350, that one really spoke to you, and we've talked about all the connections. But what I think is interesting when I read your list of cars you've owned, E92 328i, so Mm -hmm. not an M3, Mm -hmm. 2007 GT Mustang, 2012 GT Mustang, 2017 Dodge Charger, and then later... In your email, you talk about how the Ford Shelby GT350 is the best handling car you've ever driven. Of course it is, out of that list. (laughs) Right, right. Okay? So you say you like power, but you also say you really appreciate the balance of that GT350. You can't get the GT500 because it was not good dynamically. It was very powerful. It was a bragging rights car. It was never quite right dynamically. Look at the people that tested it, trying to get it 200 miles an hour. They struggled, Mm -hmm. okay? And that car was supposed to be the party piece at 200 miles an hour. That is a bragging rights car. That is not a driver's car. I hate to say it. Somebody's going to write me an angry letter, but I will take that letter right on the nose because the GT350 is a driver's car. We've driven it a few times. We love it dynamically. It is superb. That engine is very unique. Of the cars you've listed, yes, GT350, I agree. And the fact, we talk about it. If you're not done with a car... It got stolen. It got wrecked. You were forced to sell it. These kind of things. You know you're not done. We're okay with you going back. But I think if before you get that GT350, I have very serious driving homework for you. Good. Because I think you need other driver life experience. Not around the block, by the way. You may have to be renting stuff. I don't know how you get this accomplished. Because the GT350 is a pinnacle of the kind of cars you've owned but it's not near the pinnacle of I'd like some power and some handling, please. I agree to that. Brian, I'm reading your list and I'm wondering if this is the opportunity to really find something new because it's very clear. You like power and the noise and rawness associated with that burnouts, revving the engine, Mm -hmm. all those kinds of things. But you've never in your email said anywhere. What do you want to do with the car? That's good. Nowhere in That's here good. it says road trips, can carving, track time. There's yeah. no yeah, yeah. rhyme or reason. It's just emotion it's only. It's the fun car. It's the fun car and fun. To, fun. What's the definition? Exactly right. If that is, I just want to do burnouts, mm-hmm. rev the engine, stoplight to stoplight. What, fine. Great. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But that, that wasn't defined. And I'm wondering if this is an opportunity to define that and rediscover mm. something mm. in you. Because, again, I think part of you just wants another one because you had to let it go under circumstances that were emotional. You chose correctly, by the way, (laughs) letting it go. (laughs) You did the right thing. That was a good good, uh, pivot moment there for sure, yeah. (laughs) But ultimately, I feel like, all right, there's, there's a part of you that could be open to discovering something new about yourself and figuring that out and defining. And by driving a list of cars... 
even though you have driven some, I appreciate your your M3s, the E30 and the E46. Those are excellent cars to drive. Yeah. One's a little more vintage than the other. Yeah. But that E46 is a pinnacle of handling and power. That and we don't know how he drove it, though. We don't. We also don't know how he drove it. He Thank didn't you. own those. He drove them at some point. But yeah. what does that mean? Did you drive uh-huh. them while the owner was sitting shotgun and you guys were chatting and Did you a drove few blocks. it nicely? Yeah. Yeah. So this, I think is your your opportunity because you know you can always go get one. Yeah. You can. Yeah. You know what they drive like. No mm-hmm. driving homework necessary. No but test drive. Here's how the necessary. GT350 is. You can just find the one you want and yeah, buy that's it. That's true. That's very true. And I agree. It's GT350 or nothing. If that's mm-hmm. what you want, the other two I think are out yeah. personally. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But back oh, about a year now, a year and a half, we decided to drive the Mustang Mach 1 up against the BMW M4. Yes, we did. I noticed the roof lines were similar, and then I noticed the power delivery was similar, and the yeah, architecture was yeah. similar, and the weight was similar, and everything was so similar. I thought, what has BMW done? Why are you looking at Mustangs? <laughs> the price was not the same. Those were not similar, yes. But we drove them and found vast driving dynamics between the two cars, mm-hmm. even though they're very similar on paper and look. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, that's what I thought of. All I could think of was that comparison. Have you watched that? It's on our main YouTube channel, the Mach 1 versus the BMW M4. There's things about BMW that you have already driven, but there's some things in here that I think, what if you allowed yourself to do that? And there's no budget in here. Yeah. None. I, I have to assume car. anything you can get similar money to a GT350, which are not cheap right now. They're every bit of 60 grand right now still. Todd has a great point. It depends on how you've driven the car. It depends mm-hmm. on how you've tested it. Around the block, taking it on your favorite freeway isn't going to tell you a thing. True. Other than the fact that it's not as powerful as a big V8s you've had, when of course it's not. Right. Yeah. Right. Maybe that's all that matters to you is the power. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Getting yeah. around somebody, Maybe. you know, just flooring it and you've got all the power. There is an intoxication with that. There's sure. just, you know, I have the power. I'm faster than pretty much everybody. But then what you need is an electric car. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> We're going that route. But I thought about AMG GTs. I thought Ooh. about BMW Z3s and Z4s. Yeah. I thought about going something smaller that would allow you to do canyon carving or well, Virginia Beach is not near canyons, but nevertheless, something smaller that you might get more enjoyment out of from the handling characteristics, not just the straight line, put your foot down kind of aspect. And believe me, we talked about it after just having our road trip, driving through some wide open spaces and you crest a rise. Guess what? The road didn't turn. Yeah. You just crested another rise in the road. A slight rise as it goes straight for the horizon. Like, huh, this is where Hellcats make lots of sense. Yeah. It's a thing. I agree. But I, like I said, I think, Supras, the new Z car is really interesting for mm. you. We have not yet driven it. We're driving it very soon, but that's interesting. That's a balance, and it doesn't have the biggest number because you listed the horsepower number. Corvettes are in in the mix for you. Absolutely. Yeah. And again, I don't know what your budget is, but a mid-engine Corvette is very interesting to drive. It still has mm. all the power. It still has all the muscle car feel, and now it handles well. Mm. That C8 is so interesting to me. It's very different for you. And I, that's the main car that I've been thinking about. Oh, interesting. Okay. There's the muscle car side of it. Then there's the sports car side of it. And because it's so compromised, it does a lot of things well. 
these are my thoughts for you. But ultimately, what you need to do is define what you want the next fun car to do. What is yes. the activity? Yes. Rather than just, well, it's the extra third car that is the big horsepower thing. What do you go do with it besides mm-hmm. show it to people at a Cars and Coffee or do burnouts? I'm not saying that's what you do, but you know what well, I mean. Or, or that that's not, What's the, not the right answer, but you've got to define the answer. And it's not clear. I agree with that. Brian, I have some tough love uh, driving homework for you. Great. I've got a list of four cars. Okay. That, as far as I'm concerned, are on the must-drive list okay. before you buy a GT350. And, and, and you may drive all these and go buy a GT350 and be the happiest man. I, I applaud that. Sure. It's a great car. Sure. It's a great engine. It has history with you. I'm not taking that car away. But I think you've gotten a little myopic about it. It's like GT350 and only has to be Mustang. I mean, this, you only listed three Mustangs as your option. I've got three <laughs> options. They're all Mustangs. It's like, okay, let's broaden the horizon a bit. Yeah. yeah. So the first one, and I know I'm pushing on you. My friend, Brian, you need to go drive the Camaro, the SS or the, or the ZL1 in 1LE spec. Okay. Drive it and forget about what the badge is. You've That's hard to do. no Chevy product on here. That's hard to do. You are probably throwing it out at the mere fact that I mentioned it. You may be throwing your audio device right now at the mention of a Camaro. Go drive the SS or the ZL1 1LE on a road with corners mm-hmm. because you cannot come away from that drive and be like, that drives terribly. You might not like it, but it drives very well. Okay. So the right. Camaro, you simply must drive a Corvette C7. You're a guy that likes big, growly, front-engine V8s, and I think because of the stuff you've listed, you're probably a manual transmission guy. I can see that, yeah. Where that actually peaks isn't the Viper. It's the C7 Corvette. The Viper yeah. is a the Viper's yeah. an outlier, and for people that like Vipers, bless you, and they're really cool. But where it really peaks is the C7 Corvette. Drive one of those. It's a more focused car than the GT350. What I find interesting is you mentioned that the thing, one of the things that you like about that GT350 is its handling and balance. Mm-hmm. You, mm-hmm. That's why you kind of walked away from the GT500, even though it has more power. The this best is, iteration of that would be the Z06. Sure, C7. sure, absolutely. But you could get a Grand Sport. You can get anything with the, mm-hmm. what is it, the ZR1 pack oh, that just gosh. makes it right. So yeah. drive a C7 with a ZR1. Well, Z51 pack. Z- ZR1 is Thank the you. monster you. Sorry, that sorry. wants to kill Z51 you. Z51 pack. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. That's all the Chevy stuff I lost there for a second. It's all good. The Z51 pack. Drive that. Drive it and enjoy it on a good road and tell me you don't like it. Another one of my, of my four, the Jaguar F-Type. Okay. There's a big fun sounding v8 it sounds fun in v6 form for god's sakes yeah Yeah. drive that manually if you can see what's possible when you go luxury front engine v8 Mm -hmm. that's gonna be well within your budget a jaguar f-type and then the last one of my four is not about a consideration for you but it's about a reference point brian you have to go drive a 911 think so i don't think it's your car i really don't but you don't list having ever driven one, and it is so the opposite of what you're talking about. It's not a V8. It's not front engine. It's rear engine. It's everything that the cars you've mm. owned haven't been. It's the counterpoint of everything here. Yeah, It's the complete bookend to your thinking. I think you need to drive one just to go, that's what these are about. That's interesting because I think that is also going to temper and, and balance out what do I really want in a car? I actually don't think the 911 is for you, but I think that driving experience will inform what you really should buy. Interesting. Good choices. Brian, you have more driving homework to do. Yeah, you do. 
I'm still, I think you should add the C8 Corvette to your list. I see it. I see it. Because of the driving dynamics of that car. It's so very good. But let us know, ultimately, with write to us with your car conclusion, everydaydrivertv at gmail.com. When your car needs new brakes, it's a great time to upgrade for better stopping power. We're excited to partner with Power Stop Brakes for an easy way to get more performance from something you already need. Power Stop is on a mission to deliver better brakes on every vehicle in every situation from daily commuting to towing to track days. These are all bolt-on, direct-fit parts for better braking, no modifications required. Every Power Stop complete brake kit comes with all the parts you need to upgrade your brakes, including pads, rotors, and even those little clips and fasteners. Plus, all their pads are made from a carbon fiber ceramic compound, which they've tested extensively to deliver low dust and noise-free performance. So the next time you need brakes or you simply want to upgrade, visit PowerStop.com and enter your vehicle's information into their easy-to-use car finder. We even found great kits for our SUVs and our cheap sports cars. Give your everyday driver the easy and affordable performance upgrade it deserves at PowerStop.com. Some great questions. We're not going to get to a lot of them because we actually covered a pretty big podcast already, but I have to start here because of a joke you and I have had, and I have to explain it, which is probably why it won't be in the piece of the East Coast. Matthew Emmons says on Instagram, best road sign we saw. Yeah. <laughs> you know exactly oh, where I'm going. I do. He said he had, had saw one great one time that was 100% handmade sandwiches, which made him laugh. But we saw one that we are still laughing about. We were in a town in the middle of nowhere. I think we were just inside Pennsylvania, if memory serves. We were on a back road. <laughs> Went to a tiny little town that had the sign go by, the weathered sign. It's been there. I don't even know how long. It just said pawn shop. It's like, okay, pawn shop. There's a pawn shop. Fine. The other end of the block, every bit is weathered, which means it had been up there a long time. I don't think it gets taken in at night. No. I think it just sits out there. <laughs> it said three things. Bird baths, furniture, cleats. We got them. We got all those things. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought that's actually a genius choice for a pawn shop because they have told you bird baths, people that like to garden and be outside. Hmm. Furniture, people that like to stay inside and have their house be nice. And cleats, you people that are athletes. We have it all <laughs> right here at our pawn shop. Bird baths, furniture, cleats. We've, we've tossed around the idea of getting that made into a shirt, but we shall see. It's a shirt you'd have to explain to every single person, but it made <laughs> us laugh. On Instagram, Optagoan says, should all enthusiasts experience a performance Volkswagen Auto Group ownership experience? Well, sure, absolutely. But you understand that encompasses a very broad range. That's true. If you're just talking about Volkswagens, the performance options aren't that many. Mm. But if we're talking about, like you said, VAG, mm -hmm. you understand that includes Audi and Porsche and Bentley and Lamborghini, Lamborghini <laughs> Bugatti. <laughs> the list gets longer than it, doesn't it? Yeah. Certainly sh you should. Not all those companies share platforms between them. Yeah. So I, absolutely. But yeah, just remember Porsche's under VAG at this point, technically speaking, and Caymans are under that. But, but yes, I agree. I, I don't look at car ownership. I don't think you and I either, either of us look at car ownership by virtue of the mothership. Sure. It's, it's the driving experience. Yeah. The, the standouts. Like, mm -hmm. That's like saying, should you own a GM product at some point in your life? Well, sure. There's great Camaros and Corvettes and mm -hmm. great fun stuff to drive. They make the excellent Escalade and Suburban. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. But there's others that we don't really like and aren't standouts <laughs> in the market. Some of which we've done test drives on, yeah. Same thing with all these large groups. 
So we go after the particular car itself, not just the mothership, the big corporate ownership itself. Jeanette uh, Bowers on Facebook asked an interesting question. She was inspired by our cars for under $8,000, and she just recently bought, you don't say for how much, but I, I applaud you, you bought a 2001 Porsche Boxster S in excellent mechanical condition, regularly driven, has about 110,000 miles on it. After you bought it, you took it to a mechanic that you trust, and you had the 90,000-mile service done, and the Porsche mechanic, so you took it to an actual Porsche mechanic, said, your car is great for at least a year. So your question, and she's leaning it a bit at you, Paul, because she says you're a mechanic, and you are now. You've taken a Porsche. I am, yeah. But she's looking at that car, looking at our big road trip and going, can I do a road trip like that? Can I, as a non-mechanic, by the way, Jeanette, I am not a mechanic at all. I need the car to just run. Can she dare take a big road trip, or will she wind up on the side of the road in Wyoming or somewhere where there's no mechanic anywhere? Jeanette, I want to encourage you like crazy to take a big road trip in that car. If you have had it checked out with a mechanic that you trust, any car can have a random issue at over 100,000 miles. I agree with that. But if you've had it checked out, don't think of it as an old Porsche. Just think of it as a car with some miles and go do a drive. Maybe do ever-widening drives. Oh. <laughs> Don't set Just out for 2,000 miles. The, the spokes on a wheel, the yeah. ADS, you know, further and further I'm out. I'm going to go out. I'm going to do 250 miles today. Yeah. And then I'm going yeah. uh, to be back, and I'm going to feel good about that. And then maybe later in the summer, I'll do 600. Maybe I'll do two, two Sure, nights. instead of zero to yes. the biggest road trip I've ever done. Yes. Yeah. I think you should step yeah. your way up because that will give you more confidence in the car. Can stuff break? Yes. But the other thing about it is if it breaks in the middle of nowhere, whatever broke in the middle of nowhere, a typical mechanic can probably fix and if it's very Porsche-specific, you can probably get it towed to a large enough city that has some sort of Porsche specialist, and they can solve it. But that's worst case. I think you can just drive it. I do, too. Jeanette, I really appreciate that. And the, the standout words in your paragraph here are not the price, not the mileage, not the service. You said it's regularly driven. The one she bought was regularly driven, yeah. That's the standout word. Yes. That's... The reason for buying it, and that's what I, I agree with Todd, that's what will take you on the road trip far because yeah. cars that are regularly driven just work. Mm. But Porsches that are regularly driven, they like that. They just yeah, continue they to be driven and continue to go further. That's what I found with the 928. The more I drove it, the better it got. Mm. It's mm -hmm. the strangest thing with Porsches. It is weird. They yeah. do not like to sit. If you said all these things, but it sat for a while, 110,000, it sat for a year, I would be a little bit skeptical of that. Yeah, but sure. But you said regularly driven. That's good. That's what gives me confidence right there. Harvey M. is in Colorado and currently in the market for a car. Is it a bad idea to buy a car in Utah because of the salt used on winter roads? Mm. Very much depends on the car and how it was used. Many performance cars are not driven. They're put away for the winter. I don't know if that's what you're looking for, for a third car or a, just a fun car. But if you're looking for something that is a daily, modern cars have very, very good sealing. Resistance, and, yeah. Yeah, salt and corrosion resistance to them. So it depends on how it was driven and how it was cared for, to that's be honest. That's key. That's so key. The car you're looking at, you know, is it second, third owner, fourth? Where are we in the line? How old is the car? 
generally speaking, if it's a new enough car, no, it's not a bad idea whatsoever. It's well, a great idea. Get photos of the underside. Yeah. I mean, that tells you the world. I mean, when I bought that 300ZX and knew I was going to be driving it year-round, that's the car I worried about. Mm-hmm. Early 90s, 30 years old, I'm going to expose it to salt. What's going on? But I got really meticulous about regularly taking it over to the spray wash that has, a, you know, no brushes, but it had the really heavy-duty undercarriage spray that you drive in that most of the time on any other car, just drive right over whatever. I was parked on that. Mm-hmm. getting the undercarriage sprayed every time I could. And I've actually been under the car a couple times since the worst of the winter, and I have been shocked at how clean and how well it survived the winter salty months. Now, if you have somebody that they drive it all winter and they just don't worry about it, they don't wash it or whatever, that car is probably in trouble. Mm-hmm. So what is the care and feeding is a big deal. And ultimately, it comes down to your PPI. Get it up on a lift. Get some eyeballs on it. Yeah. What's your comfort level? Brian B. gives us a question here about press cars. Mm. He says, do manufacturers ever try to influence what we say about them? Be sure to talk about the power, things like that. (laughs) There's much (laughs) to say here. (laughs) Not always. Uh, It's a relationship. Mm -hmm. Most press cars just show up as they are. Mm -hmm. And if there's a feature that's different and new, that's mentioned to us. But for the most part, it's a relationship between the manufacturers and us. And we're always straight up about what we feel about it and not sugarcoating. We're not trying to say, well, the power is better than it, you know, or worse than, in, than you might think or something like that. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's I, I would say it, it's symbiotic, but there's never any lack of honesty about what the features and what the, what the car is. Yeah, they, they, they certainly they have a marketing department that would like to tell you and Paul and I look up all the marketing materials and we read the stuff and we ask questions and that kind of stuff. That happens. But let me give you the flip side, Brian. Press launches are the flip side. <clears throat> oh, yes. And you will see this. This just happened with the Z car, okay? Tons of journalists, sometimes tons of influencers who aren't automotive journalists and don't care about cars that much, go to a press launch and they sit. It, it's like the timeshare briefing. You sit in the briefing room and they tell you everything you're supposed to know. But what's... Simultaneously fascinating and frustrating to Paul and I is there are there are people in the industry doing great work, doing very unique work, and we respect that like crazy. There are people also in the industry that their entire what they do is they are getting the press information out to the public. Right. So they will right. watch the briefing and they will step outside and stand in front of the car and it's almost verbatim what mm-hmm. they just got in the briefing. Mm-hmm. And that is, and, and the manufacturers are smart about this. The manufacturers are sharing exactly what they would like shared in the way they would like it shared. Because they know it's going to come back out just like and that. And then many yeah. people will stand there and say, this is what's going on. Mm-hmm. And they, they will get that word out. Even if that word sometimes isn't right, I'll give you one, the super launch. Toyota kept saying that center of gravity here is lower than the 86. And we kept saying, is it? And mm-hmm. I think we actually said on camera, they've said this, but we don't know how that's possible. If memory serves, I mean, I suppose numerically speaking, but it's such a small amount, you're not going to feel it. And, and I think it also came out that there was some thing about a pre-pro car that was not true of the production cars, and it's actually not the case. Mm-hmm. But the, so, so there's always pressure, genuine pressure at the press launch. We've flown you out here. We've put you up. You had a nice meal. We did a really cool event. Please say nice things about our car. Now, Paul and I are known to be honest and straightforward and nice to people, and we work on that with manufacturers. So we get invited. Don't always say what they hope. 
but it's the launches where they have, here's the script we'd like returned, and some people do it, here is the script. And Paul and I and many others are like, thank you for the information. We're going to ingest this and see what we think should come back out. Ultimately, it has to do with what we've read about the car, and then let's go drive the car and see if it matches up. Uh If it matches up, wonderful. Mm -hmm. We feel like the manufacturer is being honest with us. And therefore, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I can feel what you're talking about, Uh that new feature. I can feel it, and it's great. Mm -hmm. Other times, it does feel sugar-coated, and we have to work our way around that. Uh This is what we've been told. I'm not getting any of that over here. (laughs) This is not (laughs) happening. Yeah, that definitely happens. Guys, we can't get to all of the questions today, but we will definitely keep them for future episodes. Thank you for all your questions Mm -hmm. on social media. And of course, write to us with your Topic Tuesdays, your car conclusions, and your car debates at everydaydrivertv at gmail.com. We're always looking forward to next time, and we're glad to be home because we've got more work to do. Yep. Cheers, everyone. <laughs>